Hey guys. Hey. hey. Hi Melvin, how are you? I'm doing blessed. I'm doing I'm saying doing blessed. I'm blessed. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today with us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm happy to do it. Yes. Um, so for those of you on the call who don't know, um, this is Melvin Jackson Jr. He is an Emmy-nominated actor, comedian. He was on The Wire, Everybody Hates Chris, and um, the New Edition movie. So he's here to talk with us today about racism in the industry and in Hollywood. So, and he's one of Tisha's really good friends. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Appreciate you guys so much. Me, it's always great to be in, uh, you know, greatness among uh, African American women. You know, definitely um, what we're dealing with right in here is so much, so much bigger than just one person. It, it is something that we've been dealing with. Our people have been dealing with for many, many years, um, even back to slavery, as we know. Amen. Um, well, Melvin, I was checking out your Instagram, and so you're really, really great. But I love your family. Like, your <laughs> wife is so beautiful. And she's like a, a Black queen, and yeah. you're raising three Black sons, three Black kings. So yeah. I think that that's phenomenal. And mm -hmm. um, dealing with the current climate and everything that's going on, how, how are you feeling? Um, you know, I would tell somebody <clears throat> it's interesting because you know most men or most people are angry, and I've I don't know I don't know if I can just give that to God really why I'm not angry, but I'm more so just disappointed and um, frustrated, but activated. You know, I'm not an activist at all, but I'm activated to be more involved and understanding that <clears throat> we have to change. We have to change what we're doing. I, I think the George Floyd situation me in such a different way to where I can't go back to normalcy in my life. You know, we were already dealing with the COVID-19, so our life wasn't really normal. But I think so many times what happens is we march and we go and protest and everything, and then it dies over, and then we go back into having fun, you know, while now, blah, 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 and I'm just like, this one's different. Like, I can't even be in a creative mind right now and if it's not related to the movement, just because of where my spirit is. And so... Um, it's definitely, it definitely um, has me open, has me having conversations with my sons, seeing where they are. You know, and my oldest son, he's like, he's angry. And just understanding, like, it's hitting the younger generation even more. And they get to, they see it. And so, um, yeah, it's just a different, it's just a different time to, to mental space to be in right now. Um, but I'm dealing with it, you know? <clears throat> yeah, I actually saw your Instagram post about that. Um, and you were quoting some scriptures, you were up there preaching and you were just bringing it all back to God and how yeah. you know um, he makes everything beautiful in his own time, you know? Yeah. And he uses all, all things work together for the good and those that love the Lord, amen. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> amen, you know. Yeah. Um, so Melvin, um, some people think that affluent black people don't have to deal with racism. Um, and police brutality. Um, we know that George Floyd came from a lower socioeconomic neighborhood, but Tisha's husband was actually telling us that, I think it was Jay Farrow, who's a yeah. celebrity mm, yeah. comedian, actually had to deal with uh, police brutality as well. So how does that make you feel as a black man and a black male comedian? Um, 
it 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 makes me feel me it always a reminder that no one's exempt you know for me i, I said my experience is very different um i haven't experienced any racist you know racism or experience you know any issues with cops i don't know if that's just simply being blessed but also the energy because i understand that sometimes how you um operate in a situation whether it's hostile or not the outcome can be even worse the main thing is always remembering like let me get home to my family like let me get home to my wife because if you allow your ego like if you get stopped and you're like why are you stopping me because i'm black already you're, you're putting that energy out there not saying that people who have lost their lives to it have, have asked for this they didn't wake up more and say you know what today i'm gonna you know get shot by a cop today i'm gonna get my you know nobody wakes up with that mentality but i think for me what i have to do is make sure that what i'm putting out always reflects god in a, in, a, in a way that where it's like even if you hate me i have to still love you because that's what it says it's i know sometimes it's harder to do and so in the moment it's constantly checking yourself and understanding like how can i make this situation better than worse mm -hmm. and you know i talk to you know police officers all the time and i've interacted with them and you know i just i feel like it never i've never felt like oh race played a part of why i got pulled over because there's been times where they kind of let me go and they like you know i could give you a ticket but i'm not He's have a day, have a great day. And it's just, I I understand like the job is very hard. So, but what Jer Jay Farrell went through is what black folks will go through. They Somebody can say someone look like me because we always look like somebody. So the simple fact is, like you said, if you Google my name, you know that you got, you made a big mistake. Or if you, like if you Google me, I'm not who you're probably looking for either. You know, right. you know, if you make sure you Google the right Melvin Jackson Jr. But um, it's just one of those things you can't be too caught up in your privilege as as a um, as an entertainer, as a famous person, whatever you want to call it. Like you just don't want to be too caught up because black is black. Right. Have you ever been in a situation where? Um, you were treated one way for the color of your skin and then somebody found out who you were and then their whole attitude cha changed not not that i could think of that's what i'm saying like i've, I've i mean i i don't mean whether it's you know people have been prejudiced or whatever. like it, it i don't feel like I, I for me i don't feel like race played a thing because i've been real truly blessed in my life I mean so many people who have you know white black hispanic whoever like i just feel like people have just you know, been a, a blessing to me and just, I, I always feel like the energy sometimes, the energy, like I'm not a, I'm not a hateful person. I don't put out the hatred. I'm trying to always put out positive stuff. And so I'm always blessed to what, you know, to get that in return. And, you know, necessarily it's not, I don't think it has anything to do with race is whether a person like you or not. Um, what I've done is learn to apologize. Um, even when things are not my fault, which is like very hard, you know, it's very hard in the beginning and I'm, continue to learn because sometimes it's all about just saying I'm, I apologize or someone knowing that you are sorry for what you did, whether it's meant, you know, you're meant to do it or not. So it's, it, it I haven't, I truly haven't experienced that. Um, it's some, maybe if something comes to my mind, I may be able to think about it. But when you're thinking about like, oh, these things, you know, there's things that trigger things that, you know, if you're a black woman, if you're going, a, a, a certain way all these white men are, are treating you a certain kind of way because you're black and they're calling you all these things you remember those things or man um but there's nothing that stands out to me i lived i lived, grew up overseas too so a lot of stuff was i'll say shielded wow. but it was, it was like love it was a lot of love overseas okay where did you grow up um what's what country uh pakistan and turkey oh wow yeah. oh wow about eight and a half years of my life 
Wow. So you're a Navy, military, Navy? No, my mom worked for the government. So okay. I was about like seven or eight. I went overseas. Okay. Okay. But does that, um, I mean, I, 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 you know, we talk about po police brutality and, um, and whether or not your economic status, you know, affects, you know, how police treat you. But does it affect how the industry treats you? How do you feel? <clears throat> you know, um, when you're dealing with people in an industry and maybe you're like the only person on set or <laughs> at a party that's a person of color, do you feel that there's a difference? You know, and that's what I, I was, was like, I, I believe this is a blessing and, you know, everything is divine, you know, everything has its purpose. And me going overseas put me in that position to where I was around different races. I was around different nationalities. And it wasn't just African-Americans. Like my, one of my school was maybe two or three. And so when I'm in a, a around a whole, you know, a lot of, you know, I, um, Caucasian um, individual, it, it doesn't bother me because I don't feel like, oh, I have to act, I have, now I, I don't want to act too black. But it's just like, I can get, I still be me and not feel uncomfortable. Now, if it's just like some hatred feeling, then it's something different. But I think you have to be comfortable in you who you are, and when you only deal with your your own kind, it's it's you will feel a kind of weird, like oh, I don't I don't know if I should be here. So yeah. I haven't felt that because I'm always about I'm gonna be me, whether I'm around a whole bunch of black, around a whole bunch of white. Like I'm just gonna simply be me, and you gonna love me or hate me. Like it's I can't I'm not gonna change up. Like you gonna say like man, Melvin was kind of different when he was around them, and he's he's not the same. And it's like I don't want I don't want people to say that because I want to be true. You know when you're being true when you're not. You're like oh you put on your white voice. It's like <laughs> no, it's just me being. You have sometimes you have to switch it up. You have to be improper. You know if you're on the phone for an interview, make sure you don't do, 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 do too much slang. And then when you talk to your friends, like, yo, what up, homie, what up? Right, right, right. <laughs> have you, you, you can't tell me, right? And I'm, have you ever gone to a party, right? And you're the only black person and you're like, dang, I ain't no black people here. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying though? Right. I, um, you, you, you ain't ever been like, dang. No, I'm, I'm the party starter. That's the thing. It's like people will, <laughs> will follow me. Like I remember one time I went to my sister's school and was predominantly, you know, Caucasian. And I went in there and I started a party and everybody was just, for me, I don't I don't try to look at color. When people, I mean, I know it's sometimes hard to say to do, but when you look, when you put these labels and you like, oh man, this, this person gonna treat me different because I'm black. And it's like, if you treat me different, then I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna address it in, in a way that's respectable. But I'm just like, that's gonna, we're, not, we're, not, we're not bringing that energy over here. So if you don't like me because of my, my color, my skin, then that's something you gotta deal with. But I'm gonna go over here because I can't mess with this energy. So um, I think when sometimes we we get comfortable when we like we look at things and we're like oh we see our we see our brothers we see our sisters and I'm I'm comfortable living in any other type of environment just because of how I grew up overseas. I think had I not grew up overseas, absolutely, I'd be like wait right. with my with my brothers and sisters at where they at. <laughs> but Melvin, have you, ever, have you ever been in a situ situation like me and Tish? We went to an industry party. She knows what I'm talking about. And I had just gotten Folox in my hair, right? So, like, we're not even talking about treating, being treated different. We're talking about, like, 
I mean, I hate to say it, but white people whiting, which is I had just got faux locks in my hair, right? Mm -hmm. And we go to this industry party and literally I have never met these people in my life. And they were like, hi, touch my hair. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Not, maybe not like where their, like their attitude is a certain way, but in like in the industry, have you ever been in a situation where it's like, I mean, I literally had to just be like, it's okay. And I said, I'll be that person for you. When my wife, when she had her hair out like natural, and they were like, "Can I touch your hair?" I mean, like, I don't know if sometimes like no, or sometimes like okay, like that's just something that you don't do. It's like I think it's the you have to have uh, what is it, cultural uh, etiquette or something like that. Like, yeah, when you come to a black woman, you just like even black men won't be like, "Hey, can I grab? Can I touch your hair?" You know what I mean? Like, unless I know you, know you like that. But that's just not something that women like for people to do in general. I mean, unless it's their girlfriend or something. Right. Right. You know, that's why you hear comedians are like, hey, white people, don't be asking to touch my hair. Like it's you have you have to say that. And it's like they mean no harm, but it's just so fascinating sometimes. Like, oh my God, like one lady asked a wife's like, Oh, I love your, your hair wrap. How do you do that? And it's like, lady, you're not gonna put a you're not gonna wear no hair wrap. Like she wearing it because of you know the reason she has to wear it. You wearing it because you it's just a fa- it's a fashion fade for you. <laughs> I, I well, we definitely experienced that um, when we were at that one industry party, and it was a hot mess. And we literally just started dying laughing. Is that your real hair? Like, is that your real hair? Yeah, they were like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Was that super white? Was that a white thing to do?" And I was like, "It's okay." Yeah, it's- <laughs> But it's okay. We can acknowledge it, you know. But it's okay because when you're used to being the only one in the room, you're in situations like that. And I think, like you said earlier, you just kind of, I think sometimes I'm not even aware that I'm just dealing with it. But like, why do I have to deal with it? But sometimes you do have to like use opportunities to teach. So, um, but one of the things that we wanted to ask you, Melvin, is. Compared to other people who have achieved like your level of success as a comedian, as an actor, do you ever feel like you are given the same um, opportunities as far as like compensation, roles um, as your white peers? Like, do you ever experience racism in that capacity? I always say that I, you know, for me, I started out as a manager, you know, managing artists. So for me, the business has always been forefront and I'm always about what my worth is. And sometimes if you allow yourself to be cheated, then that's kind of how it is. Sometimes we don't know what the other counterpart is, but everybody's body of work is different. Mm-hmm. So even though I have some kind of success, there's people that even, you know, African-Americans that have more success than me. Um, but it's all about you negotiating your worth. I think when you stand tall in that and you, I, I think things are gonna change a lot now. So with, mm-hmm. with what's happening, the integration and you know people are like oh we 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 pro black now, um, mm-hmm. you'll see a lot of you know African Americans getting the same as maybe a, a um, you know white uh, counterpart, but I haven't experienced that. I think I don't think I've I've dived I've dived that deep into that to where I should experience that because I'm I do more producing now than I do acting, mm-hmm. um, so I'm more behind the scenes with it. But if it's something that most time it's already set up where scale or it, I mean, unless it's a series regular, then you're you know, you're getting a certain thing. But most times, those situations are happening. Be, for me, I feel like what happen if someone has a a higher a bigger name than I do. Now, if it's because they're some just because they're they're a color of skin, those things you may not know because you're not the one negotiating the page, so you don't know what your other counterpart is getting unless you have a conversation with them, and then you look at your resume. 
Okay. So if you see a comedian who's been in the game just as long as you have, would you say that you both, and he's white, that you both have had the same level of success? Because a lot of people have been talking about like systematic oppression, how the system is broken. People like Taraji, Viola Davis, they've all come forward and said, hey, we're paid less because we're black and we're, we're, um, we're a woman. A lot of other black comedians have come forward and talked about that, how sometimes, you know, racism, it, it takes on different forms. So sometimes it's in the way that you're paid or the roles that you get. Have you ever seen, in your experience, have you seen that or maybe seen that happen to somebody else? Well, the thing about comedy is tricky because a lot of times you're you're working 15, 20, 15, 20 years and not getting paid as, as a comedian. Like you're doing it to build up. Like you don't get to the Kevin Hart's, you don't get to the to the um, to the Kevin Nillens and all those people. Like you still, they still had to go from the comedy and then transition into TV and film because comedy. You know, I want to say my first one uh, being comedy one time. My when was it? My second, third year. I made eight hundred dollars off of my uh, performing it somewhere, but that's because I had to sell tickets and people supported me. But you're not getting that type of money, you know, as on a regular basis as a comedian. That's why people are doing it so much. One, you're doing it because it's something you love doing, and then you're also doing it because you eventually know where it's going to lead you to. And you're not going to say, "Oh, I'm going to be rich off of being comedy." Most times, people are not even getting those those type of deals. And two, they make it in film because you look at. Like Kevin, you know, Kevin Hart is one of those rare things where he's been working, but he built a brand. You have to build your brand, and most comedians weren't doing that. It's just gonna be like, let me go and do my thing. And now you're seeing comedians, you know, on Wild and Out or other platforms. You have to have different platforms to even get to those levels. And there, there's just the the comedy world is so big. Like you got New York, you got LA, you got different spots that you don't know what what who's making unless they have a following. So. I remember somebody telling me, they like, man, since you have a name, like you can be headlining and you can make money mm -hmm. <clears throat> instead of like kind of, even though I wasn't ex ex experienced as some of these other people, but because I had a name, because I came from the television and film world, it's kind of like I had a more of a, maybe a leg up. I could get more money for that simple fact. So comedy is, is just definitely a different space. And so that may happen, but it doesn't come until you get those Netflix specials or other specials where you may see that, where you may see, um, a white, a white comedian, like you saw with Amy Schumer, she got maybe twenty million. They didn't want to offer uh, Monique five hundred thousand. So, but you know what I mean. But even though Monique has won, you know, won an Oscar, Amy Schumer had her body of work has continued to grow as in the comedy space. So that's the the difference. I think in Amy Schumer is more sellable than than Monique would to even to I want to say majority the more so the the white audience. Which you're probably gonna pay. But wait, but wait, 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 wait. Is she really more sellable, or is that the systematic oppression? That, that, it's systematic oppression. But that's what I'm saying. Because how many, how many Caucasians know who? Who do you think they know more, Monique, or do you think they know Amy Schumer? Because Amy Schumer has, because she's also trans, um, transitioning to film, and so she's been. While while Monique was kind of sitting back on the back burner, Amy Schumer was steadily going up here. Whether it, you know, if they started at the same time, Monique was here, but it had she kept going and done other types of films, then more people worldwide would know her. But I think people worldwide know Amy Schumer more than they do Monique. And that's kind of, I feel like, had something to do with it as well as her maybe being, you know, white. Okay. Yeah, I mean, um, maybe. <laughs> if you were saying this because we know Monique. But everybody doesn't know Monique. 
But isn't that's that true. because they're that's not true. But isn't true. that, but wait, but isn't that, but Melvin, isn't that a part of like us being able to get in the door for our stories to be seen? When you bring a project, I know Tish has told me like when you bring a project before a studio, they might, they sell, oh, this is sellable, right? This like white package situation is sellable. And maybe this black package is less sellable. But like to me, I feel like that is part of the oppression is because what why is this more sellable because it's black or this is more sellable because it's white because girls trip. And um, what's the one with the uh, with bridesmaid? the uh, huh? Bridesmaid or something else? No, not bridesmaid. It was it was a uh, girl's trip. And what was the other one? It was basically the white version. Uh, uh, girl's trip. And what was it? rough night out or something like that? Okay, one. Yeah, had, yeah. One had um, one had a who was that girl? Rebel, Rebel Wilson. In yeah, it. okay, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, you're talking about the one with um, with uh, what's her name from um, from Marvel? I think I, I think I know. Um, yeah. uh, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. I don't think she was in it, but basically, she was, she was in there with Rebel, and yeah, they were all in there together. It was okay. um, like. Rough night or something like that. Yeah, it was like rough night and girls trip. Right. And I, I read something that said like when that that when girls trip, they brought it up and they said, okay, well, this is probably only gonna make this much. And girls trip or whatever the other one is is gonna make this much. And they both did extremely well. Yeah. So I don't know. I and just Blue, Blue Tiffany had his career up. <laughs> yeah, all the way up. Yeah. But you know, they just had a they just had a conversation, um, just a segue into our um, next question. They just had a conversation um, about that on um, They Gotta Have Us on Netflix. And they were talking about how they just put all black films together. So when they see a black film, they don't see like a black comedy or a black drama or a black documentary. They just, the studios just put it all together that it's this specific audience, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just from the people who've been working in the industry. They've been saying that for years and years and years that even though these films might appeal to the mass, they're still put in a category where it's believed that they're only going to um, appeal to a specific demographic. So that I do think is a real problem. And that's probably why um, there's such a huge difference between what's happening with Amy Schumer and what's happening with Monique. Cause Amy Schumer has said some really, some things that have really ticked off some people, <laughs> like really, really ticked off some people yet. She's still getting the money that she's getting. Whereas, you know, even, um, you know, Monique is, not saying the most popular thing for people, right. but but she, you know, she's blackballed, you know. So I do think that there's a huge difference, and I, I wanna I wanna get to our um, next question where we talk about, um, you know, uh, compared to like um, we talk about some here we go so many uh, so many uh, celebrity actors and actresses that have opened up about how unequal pay for African-Americans has, has affected their mental health and triggered them emotionally. What effect has racism in the entertainment industry had on your mental health and overall well-being? Did you see that Taraji P. Henson video? That's, I don't know if you saw that, but she opened up about her anxiety and depression as it pertained to um, being underpaid. 
So ask, say that question again, Artisha. Yeah, okay. It says compared uh, to other actors and comedians who have achieved, oh no, is that the right one? Sorry guys. Oh, so many black uh, actors and actresses have opened up about how unequal pay for African-Americans have affected their mental health and triggered them emotionally. What effect has racism in the entertainment effect um, uh, has had on your mental health um, and your overall well-being? See, for, for me, is that I mean, life life in general <laughs> has um, you know played a a, a part. Um, I, I I I just I mean, for me, I the entertainment in my life is has to be kind of separate, where it's like it always used to be entertainment, entertainment, but. You know, like I said, those 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 things when you allow, you know, pay and all these things to to trigger mental health, it's an underlying thing. Like, why why does that 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 does that affect you? Because it's almost saying if you're at a job and your white counterpart, you know, is getting paid more than you, now mentally that's going to affect you in a way. Instead of just maybe having a conversation about it. So for me. I wouldn't allow it to get to that point. I would simply have a conversation um, or fi simply figure out how can I get my worth? I, I think that sometimes it's one of those things is that if you're getting your worth, then um, mentally, you know, mentally it should put you in a, in a, in a, in a place to where you're okay. Like I'm, I'm, you can't be rude about money. So I, I think that when it's something is rooted by money, then it will drive you insane. It would get you to a point. But I've like I've never been like, man, I wonder what you know my white counterpart is getting for this the same role or whatever. I, I I for me, I'm not saying worry about me, or uh, not worry about somebody. But it's simply like I have to make sure that I'm getting my worth. I know my worth, so I'm saying this is the the amount that I want. I'm not going lower than this. Now, if you choose to go lower than that, then that's something you have to accept. But we all know what it is. We all know that you know some uh, white actors get more than other actors, but they're at a different they're at a different level. So for me, I'm not even at that level to have that conversation in regards to to what they're able to have because I'm not. No one's sitting there offering me you know a million dollars, but then it's offered this other person for the same role five million dollars. I, I haven't had that experience yet, um, but that's why it, it's going to take for us even become behind the scenes to make sure that that type of stuff necessarily doesn't happen, but making sure that we as African-Americans, we get the same amount that we're worth. I mean, you don't, you don't necessarily hear Denzel having those type of situations, you know, with, with people like, I think that when you get to a certain level, like Will Smith to Eddie Murphy to, to Denzel, they may not run into those issues. Now, if they do, that that's something that hasn't really been voiced, but a lot of those, you know, you see like Tom Cruise and all those, they're getting maybe 15, 20 million, but they're also producing as well and i think that what happens with us is when we start to see the change is when we create opportunities and we start having ownership where we stop just being the players but we start being owners yeah. where if you know of a player you know just like the different players on a, on a basketball team everyone's getting different paid differently some are some are not necessarily because they're racist because of their talent who they are but also you understand that the owner is making them the real money so like you see like a lot of people like lebron steph curry all those they already get paid ahead of time. I get they they get their money straight up front from what I from what I've researched. And other people are getting paid by games. So you have to get your you have to continue to elevate your game and understand what your worth is. And I know Taraji wasn't paid. She wasn't maybe I remember her going to negotiation with Benjamin Button 
and she wasn't paid a whole lot of money and i think that i don't know if she had to pay for her own lodging and everything or something and then she got nominated for a golden globe you know uh, oscar for that but it didn't change her pay mm. but that's also has to be also on your team too and it wasn't until i think tyler perry was the first person that paid her her worth but I, I, I want to say something about that as a producer, right? Mm -hmm. I've been in the room where, you know, I had this really big project. It's going to be, you know, up in the millions. I've been in the room where you've had like an African-American woman, notable, and they'll say, okay, we're not going to pay her. We're going to pay her schedule F, schedule F, and, and um, it's $65,000. Right. Um, you understand what I'm saying? Because yeah. you're a producer. And then I've been in the same room where you might have an actor who's just probably even on the same level as them. And they'll say, or the agency will come back to me and say, pay them a million dollars. And I'm like, this person has no name. They have no sales value. They have no real, you know, they have a couple of followers, but Instagram, inst you know, Instagram, YouTube, that doesn't translate into sales. Right. It doesn't translate. It's just advertising, right? right. So I've seen it to where, let's say CAA, CAA will say, you know, there's a white blonde girl, you're going to pay her a million dollars. And at the same time, they'll say this black girl who's on this very popular show, yeah, you could pay her $65,000. You know what I mean? But when it comes to black men, I've seen them say, pay the million dollars. So do you think there's a disparity in how we pay black men in the industry and how we pay back black women? Because as a producer, I've personally seen it. But I want, I'm wondering from you as a producer on your end, have you seen that? Absolutely. It's one of those things. It's almost like the WNBA and the NBA. You know, they sometimes it's it's one of those things. It, you know, men, as you know, they, who, who, who consider themselves ruling the world and they feel like they, they are deserving of this. And, you know, women should kind of almost in their mind be excited to what they get. And it's almost like you'll never, not say never, but it's very hard to see a man and a woman getting the same amount of pay. Now, if they come together and negotiate that, well, you saw with friends that I think the last season or whatever, where they all yeah. said, you know, we're all going to get a million per episode. Like that's what, and I, and I think that's what has to happen. You have to come together as a group so that everyone is paid equally because you're all doing the same work. Um, right. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's, it's, I think it's the uh, show, show, uh, male chauvinist uh, attitude that happens where it's just like, this woman shouldn't get more than this man, even though she's more qualified. It's almost like a job, you know. When women make more money than men, we get we get uh we get uh, uh insecure about it, and it's like mm -hmm. that, that if that's what she deserves, that's what she earned, then give her that. Like it shouldn't be a difference because male or female. But but I I it's not just a male or female. It's uh even the white woman, right? White woman who might not. It, they might say, oh, there, there's something there with her, right? That they think is worth a million dollars. Where they can look at the black woman and say, well, maybe, you right. know? Um, and I think that's- The value, he's like, yeah. you your value. Yeah, like they, they tell you and they try to determine who your value, what your value is. And what I found like the only way that a lot of black people can really 
say, this is my value. I think um, a lot of black people talk about it. They go out there, they create their own content. They have to show, Tyler Perry talked about this. He had, he said he had made $70 million with his plays and he was at the negotiating table with Lionsgate. And and he was talking about how they said, oh, well, you know, we're only going to give you this much money. And he had to show them like, listen, this is my audience. You know what I mean? Like um, they, they're going to come and they're going to watch this. And he got more on the back end because they underestimated how much yeah. he was going to sell because in their minds, and this has happened a lot. It happened with Girls Trip. I think Jada Pickett spoke up. Jada Pinkett Smith spoke up about that. Um, it's happened with so many, so many films with um, Think Like a Man. They didn't think like a Think Like a Man was $12 million. It made $90 million at the box office, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this constant thing that they under they know that black content sells, right? They know right. that black content is popular, but it's this ever-going thing of, well, we're still not going to put the investment in and we're still not going to value the people of the culture of which we know will sell. Right. That's where I find that there's a when we're talking about institutional racism in this industry, that's where I find that it's the biggest disparity is the the constant underestimation. And there's this one thing, one scene on um, uh, Do the Right Thing, right? Where Spike Lee, he's with the guy at the shop and he's like, you know, you like, um, you like, uh, what did he say? Uh, Magic Johnson. He's like, yeah, he's the best. And he said, um, uh, it was a couple of, of other black people he said that he really, really liked. And he was like, well, why are you always calling us the end world? And then he was like, well, they're not that. They're they're different. Yeah. yeah they're, and, you know, they're, they're not that. <laughs> they're different. Because it, that's the thing that I feel like, you know, happens in this industry a lot is that they're like, no, no, no. Only these people are different. You're you're gonna sell because you're different. But right. everybody else, you're 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 that N word. So you're. Not gonna sell. <laughs> right. But how do they mask it? Because sometimes I've heard you talk like Tish is that's goes back to like the commercial versus non-commercial. It's like how do they how do they mask it? Because I know a lot of people are on the call who they want to know how do, how do you know when it's happening? Sometimes I. You okay. don't know what's happening. I don't think you know it's happening until it happens. Because yeah. I, I also have been, um, and Melvin, I want to ask you, have you been in situations where, where you know, people, like, you have, like, these Black people, they're like, no, I know this is going to be a success. And then you have everybody doubting them in the room. And then you see, like, you see that they just, they just all of a sudden just blow up and you're like, dang. And everybody kept saying, well, no, there's no place for that person. No, there's no place for that person. But they know and they see and they see people like, they see people are, you know, they see people that um, are uh, are interested. They see that person has that something. Cause that's another thing. They always talk about the it. That's how they mm-hmm. kind of mask things, right. the it factor, right? Right. Um, and and then all of a sudden now you're put in a different category than the rest of the the black people in entertainment. So I mean, in my that's been my experience. But you know, have you seen any of the things that I'm talking about? You know what I mean? As a producer, let's let's just switch. You know, um, switch from actor to producer. I want to go into something real quick. Um, it took me back to the. I don't know. I mean, if you guys saw the Michael Jordan documentary. But it took me back to where he had to decide which company he was going to go to for his shoes. 
and he chose you know he almost didn't choose nike he was he didn't want to meet with them and you know he wanted i think it was adidas or some some other but it was just like he kind of betted on himself knowing that his shoes would you know do well and you know they had all these things but it was like he knew you know and it's almost like even with kanye west people say what they want about kanye west but it's like he knew what you know what he, he was going to be and people can't see it and i think sometimes in this industry people don't see what you see it's like we we all have a dream but no one's going to be able to see that dream it's so clear any more clear than you are so it's almost like you expect them to doubt you because they you want them to like you say with a Tyler Perry situation get more on the back end because you already know what's going to happen they're like ah that's not the show we'll give you you want 50 percent. we'll give you 50 percent because we know that this movie's not going to make it. and you do and you're like oh and then sometimes they'll start not doubting you but i think in those situations people are watching i know for me people are watching me and so they're less likely to doubt me because they see my track record this is what i've done <laughs> on, my, on my own you know right. taking a project writing it producing it and now being nominated for an emmy like they don't understand like they don't understand my army and mm -hmm. you don't know who's right. behind you and sometimes you ain't got to brag about what you have right. you just right. gotta show up and so i think that was the, the thing is just being present showing up so where now people are coming to me with even bigger projects like me and tisha know we're working on projects so it's just like people will come to me with things because they're like man they did that with a little bit of what they had imagine if they had even more of what they can do so it's all about resources all about almost making sure that you don't show your cards you know what you have but you ain't got to show them what you have you continue to let them doubt you and you bring your army and y'all come over and y'all conquer and you making sure that okay now now What's gonna happen? Almost like a Will Packer situation, where it's like, you know, he didn't get the respect that he in the beginning. Oh, you just making right. Oh, you don't think I can cross over? Oh, okay. Boom. We gonna do that. I think it was Girl Trip is high grossing movie. Um, I believe so. I believe yeah, so. Yeah. And now yeah. That he has a deal with Tony or something like that. He has a deal, so he's got TV shows. He got so he's a prime. You know, he's one of the prime examples. So we have people to to use as example. To say, you know, okay, now we gotta, now we have somebody that's opened the door. Now, how we continue to keep bringing up more people in? That's the important thing to continue to bring more people that look like us in, so that we have these opportunities. I think it's really interesting what you said earlier too about research and the knowledge about ownership because. I mean, that's what we've always done, right? Whenever we haven't gotten the opportunities that we wanted to get, we created our own. We created yeah. our own business. We hired each other um, in the entertainment industry and outside of the entertainment industry. So that's just black businesses. Right. So I think that's really interesting what you talk about, which is like create your own work, but also understanding the business aspect to that. Because me and Tish, we have a business and we didn't really understand about music and royalties like you yeah. have somebody that just puts out an album and they got it on spotify and half the time they're not even collecting all the rights to it you know like I mean, company, yeah it's the publishing yeah. company like every it's like they have that control over it. it's like you got to make sure that sometimes that's why people create their own publishing companies so that yeah. it all goes to them as well because it's like you have a publishing company and you're waiting for them to to send you a check and you're like wait mm -hmm. and it goes to the producer for the writer and all and if you're the artist you're the last person to get paid 
<laughs> and Melvin, that's exactly what we did. I'm not even gonna lie, Melvin. Like, if I didn't have Tish, I wouldn't know anything. Like, because this is another thing, too. Sometimes, as an artist, when you're trying to transition, like you and Tish in the producer space, right. you just don't know. Like, you don't understand, I need a contract for this, or you don't know, like, resources. You don't know. What do I ask? How do, yeah. how do I even know about mechanical rights versus like performing rights? How do I even know about yeah. these things so that I can get what I'm entitled to? Right. So like, what advice would you give to artists, producers, directors about like, how do you even obtain the knowledge to know how you can like own your stuff right. or? Like we talked about simply doing the research. I, I think from, from, from me, it's always saying, how can I make sure that I know just as much as my agent or my management knows, you know, because it's like, it's important to know the logistics because then nobody can tell you anything. It's like, Oh yeah, you sign this, sign this right here. Cause you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay. It's like, you're trusting them, but you got to know just, just as well. And I think that's important when you have the knowledge, especially when music, music, we know so many people have gotten screwed to where mm. a lot of people don't even know, like they're looking for that. Oh, I'm going to get this advance. Not knowing that they got to pay that advance back. And if they don't, that's when they credit report. I, I learned this. I was like, "It's crazy." What? Yeah. What? So, like, if you're gonna get an advantage, if you're gonna get an advantage, you wanna make sure that you don't go and spend that. You don't make sure you, you know, you do what you need to do with the album or whatever. But you make sure, even if you invest it, but like, don't go and start buying cars and that, because that's not your money. That's almost like a loan, mm -hmm. unless you know, unless you just come out, unless you are artist that already sold records and they they reached out to you and they already gave you an advance. But that's like, and, and oh, gave you a signing bonus or whatever that that signing bonus is yours. But advance. That's simply what it is. It's a loan. I'm loaning you this money on me recouping the money that that I just loaned you and more. So I think it's just simply understanding and reading. People, we have we have Google. We have all these things that we can go and we can find out everything because um, you'll get screwed over. Like I remember doing a commercial and learning that um, you can't you 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 can you can't um, you can't get paid as an actor. And a performer, like as you like, like I had to rap in the, in this video. So you can't, you only can uh, be, which I think is dumb. You only can um, be paid as a performer, not as both. So what they try to do was they try to have this, the person that originally did the rap um, get paid for that. So, but I had to go and record the, the the my version of it. So they try to have that person being paid because they, they knew that I couldn't get paid for both. But what I was, what I, what I fought on was saying like, no, they try to say it wasn't me, and I'm like, no, it is me. And so I had to actually play my version to the company that hired them, and I think it killed the commercial because of that. But it was simply like it was a based off principle. Like, don't say that that's not me, and it is me. So even though I wasn't gonna get paid for both, it was like the simple as the principle of it, and it was like, they, they, cause they were like, well, why, why would that person lie? I was like, I don't know, and it's somebody they had worked with for years. Mm. But I had to prove my point. Like you're not gonna, you're not because you could do to somebody else and they not care. But I was just like, this is me. I'm gonna prove to you this is me. And they sit and listen to it and they like, wow, you're right. And so they had to correct that situation. But it was like, I don't like when people are trying to do you know shady stuff. I mean, even though like I say, even though I wasn't getting paid, it was a simple principle of it. Don't say, don't lie and say that it wasn't me. You use another actor. Don't say, oh yeah, we use another person's voice. Really? I'm just supposed to be like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that like 
I know that like I've been around a lot of wealthy and successful people and it is very interesting how they protect themselves and how they mask themselves. Like they will be getting paid five different ways as an individual in their LLC and then they'll protect. I mean, Tish was explaining to me how like when you pay taxes, the deductions you get on this end, the deductions you get on that end. And I'm like, oh, this is so legal. I mean, like what was that thing that came out with Trump where there were, it was technically illegal, yeah. but it was legal? Right. Because they get their paperwork right. I mean, right. I'm just saying we need to get our paperwork right. It's right? important. Like um uh Warren, I think Warren Buffett is LeBron's mentor. He's one of his mentors. And you know, he was just like, you know, I see him as his business and model, and I want to I want to make him a billionaire. And it's like when someone like Warren Buffett takes liking to you, and this LeBron's been doing since 17, came to the league and you know, had what 200 million dollar um Nike deal but it's like what do you what do you do with that how do you you branch off and you see he's doing films he's doing tv he has a short to show the wall on he has you know things and that's what you have to do like don't just focus on this one thing you have to have a multiple of things going on and that's why for me i felt like i had to be a brand i had to call myself the brand of melvin jackson jr because people will put you in this pigeonhole they're like oh you can only be an actor or you can only be this you can only be one thing at one time and i was like that's not how my brain works and how do I, like, how do I, how do I figure out a way to make it fit into this this box or whatever without people be like, oh, he's all over the place. And right. so that's what I did. And so when I did that and I explained to people what it is, I'm like a brand. If you look at a brand, a brand offers different services. So I come to you mm -hmm. as an actor, come to you as a producer, comedian, host, all these things. So it's like, oh, I get it. And so I have not run into any issues since then. Before all the time, like we don't know what the is he an actor is. It mm -hmm. Like it's all these things you because you can't. It was it wasn't normal to be all these different things. Right. But you became a boss, so then people understood. <laughs> yeah. But who I mean, honestly, who I I remember I saw Kim Cole and she was they were like, Kim, how are you like how are you still like around? How are you still making money? Because mm -hmm. they they had her on the list as a person like making a lot of money. People were like, What? She was like, I diversify. She was like, I'm not just an actor. I do this, I do that, I do that. And I feel like, especially black artists, you gotta know that it is your responsibility to also understand how the business works. Nobody does one thing, you know what I mean? Nobody does one thing. They make it seem like this is just this one artist, but you find out that that artist also is the executive producer. That artist also put a sponsorship in there and they got a brand that they're promoting now in the film and they have their own drink company and they have all these things going on and you think to yourself it has to do with money no it doesn't have to do with money it's not just because they have money it's because they're smart business people right i mean i've seen some people do some things and i'm just like how is this person even doing this and it's just because they just have the basic knowledge of understanding that if you have a brand which a lot of you know, affluent black people do, then you can build on that brand, like you're saying, and, and make a lot of money off of it and not give the brand away. Right. Let's talk about giving your brand away because I see it all the time. You're just giving it to a person, left and right, letting them make money off of your brand, mm. you know? And I think that's that's a, another thing about, mm. I, I don't think that's necessarily a black thing. I think anybody who can take advantage of people will. No, absolutely. Yeah. They will. I think they just will, you know, but I think it's for us, a lot of the times we don't have the resources in our community to truly understand that we have, we have 
the dopest brand, right? Some of the dopest brands, some of yeah. the most popular brands, and other people are making money off of that. Yeah. You know. You well, know? you were talking about resources, and Melvin, you talked about mentorship. Have did you have a mentor? Because I'm noticing that a lot of people who are really successful, like I read Elaine Waltworth's book, More Than Enough, and I mean, she was the, let's see, she was the youngest and like only black, um, what is it? Uh, editor in chief, editor, of Vogue. editor in chief of, of Team Vogue for like years. And now she's on like Project Runway and all this stuff. And she talked about, she had a mentor. So did you have a mentor growing up? I mean, when, while you were coming up in the industry? Um, navigate. I had people that that definitely gave me, you know, insight. But I, I I was more of a visual person. I like to I'm a people watcher. Like I'm watching and seeing what certain things. And I, I would I mean I don't know if it's cliche now, but it's like almost like God was my mentor. He you know just guided me through certain things because it's like I always look for a mentor and it's always asked where we ask them like, hey, can you mention me? And they like, okay, I got a bunch of people asking me mentor. But that thing is for me is simply learning from each individual I'm in contact with and saying like, okay, let me just sit back and learn. Let me watch what you're doing. You know, some of it, like definitely the music business, I watched, you know, the way, you know, Puffy moved around and I just navigated in that way. And so I was just a hustler, you know, and I simply like watching my father just the way he did multiple jobs. And my father was a realist. You know, it's one thing you can come and say, I got a dream. My father's like, I need to see it. You know, my mom was like, baby, you going to the moon? I'm coming with you. Let's go. So, <laughs> those balances that kind of helped me and understand like, I gotta, I gotta, can you sit and ask somebody to mentor me or whatever? It's simply, I have to be along for the ride and learn because it's very hard when you sit and have to mentor somebody and you'd be like, okay, let me show you this, let me show you that. Everybody in this business is not gonna do that. And so, like, my big sister, Chandrella Avery, is like one of my mentors as a producer. And so, like, she sees how I like just start picking up stuff quickly and stuff that I don't know. I'm like, I'm asking Tish, I have people that I can lean on to ask questions because I'm start, I start learning certain terminology. I'm like, oh, Oh, that's what that's called. Oh, and like, yeah. the, like you're like, what's your ROA? You're like ROA. What's RI? You know, like oh, return of uh, return on investment. It's like you just start learning all these terms, and the more and more you learn, the more you grow, and you're like, man. Um, so it's always just about building and um, and listening. Sometimes mm -hmm. the 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 greatest key is like you in a meeting, right? And the person be like, why does the person never say nothing? Because they're just simply soaking up the energy, soaking up every information, and they're taking notes, and they're going back, and they're like, okay, let me go look at this. It's almost like going to church, right? Somebody preaches a, a message, and if you don't know exactly where they're coming from, you, what you're going to do? You're going to go back home, you're going to do your homework, because you're not going to take just their word for it sometimes. You're going to be like, okay, they said this in this Bible. Okay, this is what they're talking about. Oh, now it makes more sense to you because you can be in a meeting, and they're seeing all these terminologies, and you don't know what they mean. Mm -hmm. But you go home, and you do your research, or right. you know somebody who's in a, who's a producer or an actor and be like, hey, what does this mean? Like when you go on set and they like checking the gate, like what is checking the gate? Is there a gate? <laughs> like checking the gate is making sure that, you know, the scene is, everything is right with that scene before we move on to the next. You'd be like, apple box. You'd be like, apple box? What is an apple box? The box that got apples in it and it's like you, you stand on the apple box to make you taller, you know? So it's all these different terminologies that you just learn and you're just simply soaking it up. Mm. Figuring out what you what they call that they call that indirect mentorship. Uh, mm. I think Oprah said that. She said Barbara Walters was her her, um, her mentor, and so I was like, really was she? But it's indirect mentorship, yeah. like you said, mm. it's soaking up. It's like like what you said, 
being in a room and seeing what they're doing. So technically that person is your mentor. It's just not one person. Your vision, like clearly you had a vision, right? You were like, I'm this my brand. I'm the CEO of Melvin Jackson Jr. Right. And these people don't understand my vision. Probably like probably like people didn't understand Tyler Perry's vision. Yeah. But um, he soaked up different stuff from the different people he um he was around, like you said. So that's really that's that's what it is it's called. It's called indirect mentorship. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, um, you know what I would I would ask? I think we might have mentioned we talked about this, like what advice can we give young artists, black mm-hmm. artists who are coming into the industry today? You know, I think a lot of, and I'm, I'm asking this is because when I was out, when I was in school, right? I had this one uh, manager who was just like, yeah, it's hard to sell black people. It's hard to sell black women. And I was like, really? I mean, I, I, I didn't think it was gonna be that hard. I see them all the time, right? But now, <laughs> It's like, where y'all at? Where y'all at? We don't got enough. We, right. we, where they at, right? So I just think it is a different environment than a couple years ago. So what have you seen, I would say, in the last 10 years in difference that in transition in the industry? And what advice would you give to those who are, you know, um, young young enter- entertainers who are coming into the industry today? I, I, will, I will always say create your own uh, narrative. I mean, the thing is, sometimes people are looking to be in this business and they don't even sometimes don't even know what type of actor they want to be or what type of roles they want to be. And it's like you have to because sometimes what will happen if you do a role, say, like I came from the wire. As soon as I came from the wire, like everybody's offered me thug roles, gangster roles. And it's like I didn't play gangster on the wire, but it's like just that being in that that on that type of show, they already kind of had the narrative of what they wanted you to be. And I'm like, for me, that's not gonna be. That's not. That's not me transitioning into an, as an as a uh, a working actor. In a sense, that's me being a stagnated in one area. And I'm like, I'm more than that. And so, a lot of times, I wouldn't even go in for comedy stuff. I wasn't, you know, getting um, any auditions. So it wasn't until I started one doing comedy and two creating my own comedy projects. And people like, oh, he can do comedy. And then I started doing way more comedy than I did drama. So I always tell people, I say. Start writing your own stuff. If you're not a writer, get with a writer who is and shoot your mm-hmm. own so you can start building your own re- um, um, demo reel and resume so that when people ask for something, they already have a different, multiple of different things that they can see you as. Whether you're just going to shoot different scenes um, and being different characters, you have to you have to paint your canvas. It's like you're, you know, you're a uh, Mona Lisa painting. You have to paint your own image of what you want them to see because if not, they're going to paint it for you and it's not going to be right. It's like, it's almost telling mm-hmm. someone like a white person telling a black person how to be black. Like, how can you teach me how to be something that I'm already am that I wake up in? And so mm-hmm. it's, like, it's like, as the actor that you want to be, someone else can't tell you what type of actor you you, you want to be. Only you can tell what type of actor you want to be. Amen. That was Robert Townsend's Hollywood Shuffle, how they were yeah. trying to teach people how to be black in the right. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm telling everybody, y'all, watch um They Gotta Have Us. They were talking about the same subject. Cuba Gooding Jr. talked about the same thing you're talking about. He was in um he was in uh Boys in the Hood and he said after that he didn't work for like almost eight or nine years because he kept wow. turning down all the thug roles. And mm-hmm. then he got um 
he got uh what's the thing with tom cruise jerry Maguire. yeah he got jerry Maguire because he kept turning down the thug roles it's crazy you know mm -hmm. and i just you know uh, just to talk a little bit more about racism i have had an experience where you see like one white person in the same role multiple times and then they'll say oh i want to have that person in my movie and i'm like i've never seen this person even do that well they got the chops <laughs> and then you see like a black person in like a role over and over again. And I'm like, oh, I think this person can do this role. And it's just like, but they only do this role. Right. And it's like, I mean, I'm, but they got the chops. That's not what I say to them. I'm like, well, they got the chops. Just right. like- And, and it's right. crazy you, you say that because I had an experience. I don't even know if the, I'm not sure if the cast director was white or black, but it was a time where it was a scene, almost like a role like Carlton. And I was, you know, trying to go and audition for that. And my, my, my agent, or they kept telling my agent, they said, oh, I know Melvin. Yeah, he can't play that role. He was like, what? So I was going and taking pictures with the, the character and doing all this stuff. He was like, nah, nah, he's, he, can't, he can't do that role. Because I'm like, really? You're not even going to give me an opportunity to see? Like, And it was just like, people will tell you what you can't do. And sometimes you know what you can't do. But then you're like, I got to prove to myself and them that I can't do it. Because as an actor, not saying you, every role you're going to be able to do. But it's just something you have to embody, and I and it was like I ended up playing the, that the type of character down the line, and it was so different from anything I played. And I'm like, this actually does work for me. I can see myself doing this, you know. But it was just simply fact when they will only give you the opportunity to do something different, and they're seeing you as was like really. But you said it, given the opportunity, you know, like that's the thing. Like you have to. Um, you have to be given the opportunity to stretch. And I, that's that's a problem in the industry by itself because that happens to a lot of people. But the, the thing that I find more so that I see um, with people who are non-Black is that they are given an opportunity. They're, I'm going to give you one try, one try to get it right, right? And with Black people, it's just like, no, you're not that type of, you're, you're not the, you know, and, and you're not the Viola Davis, you know. They mm -hmm. once they find like a certain type of black person, they know what category to put you in. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So you now you're like you're either Denzel Washington, Viola Davis, or you're other you're you're either Tiffany Haddish. So you have to give them a category that you can be in. And the the, the beautiful thing about Issa Rae, right, is that that's the reason why she talks about what she talks about in her content. It's just like, you're not gonna put me in this category when I'm, I, I can be the comedy person, I can be the drama person, I can be the awkward black person. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so they don't know what to do with her. They just let her do whatever she wants to do. Right. Mm -hmm. If you notice, she just does whatever the heck she wants like, to do. Like it's, it's, it's interesting you said that too, because she's in a show, Love Bird, something like that, where originally yeah. it was for a Caucasian woman. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. They, I think it was like a Caucasian couple, and so they. She was like, "Well, of course they knew if I was going to be in it that it had to, you know, it had, it wasn't going to. I wasn't going to play a white woman, but it was like I was. It was going to change, and so they said they wanted to, you know, have Kamal, Kamal, Kamal. What's the name? I forgot from. Um, um. Kuma, uh, who's from? Uh, what's yeah, Kamal. He's in. Yeah. He's in the new Marvel movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So it's just you know you have to. I mean, you, we, I mean, you see a lot of, we're going to see a lot of changes now. Of course, I heard that they're writing a, rewriting a lot of the Caucasian um, characters and making them black now. So it's going to be a change. Yeah. I hope it's just not a bad. It's just not something that kind of happens and go away, but it's something that's really changing and opening it up. Um, how we, how we're, how we're seeing on TV because we're not all thugs. We're not all, you know, robbers and all, all these things. So it's, I think it's just, we're all sophisticated. <laughs> 
And I think it's just important to continue to tell the stories. Like you tell the stories of the Brian Stevensons of the world with Just yeah. Mercy and just continue to tell great stories. You know, I'm, 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 at, I'm at a point where I'm tired of seeing the slave movies. Like I've just saw some Will Smith going to oh, be and I'm like, really? Yeah. But I, I mean, hey, he's producing it too, but it's just like, I didn't even watch 12 Years a Slave because I was just, at a point, it starts to make you upset. Like, I started getting angry. You know, like, you see four yeah. people getting whipped and called the N-word. You're like, oh, like, that is just, it's just too much. And then those are the ones that win Oscars. And it's like, really? Right. Why, why, we only, why we only got to be a slave to <laughs> maid to win an Oscar? No, like, that's another thing of institute. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, another thing about how the industry kind of blocks things in as far as how our stories can be told, you know? And, and the thing about it, and the thing that I'm very passionate about too is, is that the reason why a lot of these people can do what it is that they're doing is because they have a backing, right? You know, they have the financial backing and a lot of these um, black companies, they de they're depending on the studio or whoever to have a financial backing. And what they don't know is that these they have independent production companies that then partner with the studios. The studios aren't giving them the money. These independent companies, they have their own money or they seek money and then the studios are is just their partner. So then they have more control, right? Mm. So that's where, as Will, um, Will Packer does this because he understands that. But we're always seeking the approval to get from the studios. Oh, we want them to do this. We want them to do that. But they don't seek approval. They say, okay, I got something here. This is what Tolitary does, right? Mm -hmm. The Tolitary thing. I got something here. Whether or not you think this is good, I'm going to do this anyway. So yeah. either you make money from this or somebody else going to make money from this. Right. Point blank. Yeah. Right. Right. That's that's what they do. And so that's how I feel like taking back the power of our own stories, how it can work. They did, um, you know, Harriet Tubman, they did it through an independent company that was partnered with, um, I think it's Focus Film. Yeah, I think yeah. You know, but, you know, that's where, you know, having the financial power to tell our own stories is where we're going to take our, also take our power back. It's not because if they don't, if they don't understand our stories. They're going to keep saying no. Right. You know what I mean? They can get the they can get the slave narrative. It's it's easy to digest. Yeah. You know. But that's not all of our history. Like I think it was Ryan Coogler. He's make he's making with Michael B. Jordan the uh, King Mansa Musa story, and oh. a lot of people don't know that King Mansa Musa was one of the richest men that ever lived. Molly. So I think that that's beautiful that we do have black people who, mm -hmm. like you said, are in a position of ownership. Issa Rae is able to do what she's doing is because she, like you said, Melvin, she's in a position of ownership. Right. Like she's like, what is it? Higher across? Is that right. what she said? Yeah, yeah. Hi, yeah. Net network, network across. Network yeah. across. She's just what mm -hmm. you said. Like Tyler Perry. Okay, you don't want to do it? Fine. And I think that that just really shows like what you said earlier about the importance of creating your own content, being in a position of ownership and just be doing the research, you know? So it's, and we have so many stories to tell and that's the, the interesting, like I'm, I, I was even like, I got to go back, you know, history class that we paid attention, but it's like things you didn't listen to and learn. Like I'm even learning, I was looking at them like, man, you know, where it says, there's a, as a, I'm like, there's an amendment that's, that gives us the right to vote to, as African men. Like it was a uh, 15th amendment that uh, was happened, the right to vote was February 26, 1869, and then ratified in February 3rd, 1870. And then women weren't allowed, to, weren't given the right to vote to 1920. So I'm like, 
there's all these histories and i'm like these are things that you know it's like we don't take for granted we I mean we take for granted sometimes like voting there's some fact like yo voting mm -hmm. Um, but there's so many stories that we have that it was just like, man, there's some powerful men and we've seen the Martin Luther Kings and Malcolm X's. And then, you know, you have Stokely Carmichael who would change his name to a Kwame, uh, what did he change? He changed his name to, I forgot his last name. He changed his name to something else after that. But there's so many stories that can be told and it doesn't have to deal with slavery. Right. <laughs> um, right. But, you know. I just, I just kind of feel like, like a lot of the stories that are being, um, that are being told are, are just. It's just easy for them to be like, well, we know that we can digest this because this is what kids are learning in school. This is what the world already knows. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to stories like King Masamula, where 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 you know you have people putting out these narratives that you know the European culture has always been the most prominent culture, it just it just coincides with what it is that we know so then it's just like well why why what happened to this man what happened to these people and you didn't have to go into that narrative which is a very uncomfortable conversation right. you know it's a very uncomfortable conversation about you know the wealth of one nation being transferred to the wealth of another you know well, and that's I why they don't want us to learn how to read because they knew if we had some education and some book smarts that we would we would be killing the game so so just so check us out so um, a couple of years ago, my wife, she had the opportunity to read at a, um, a school. I don't know if, I guess it was predominantly white. And she had to play uh, Rosa Parks. So she's reading a Rosa Parks book, but there was parts in the book they didn't want her to read to the kids to tell them about what, what happened to us. And it was like, what? Like, uh -uh. what? So it was like, you're shielding them from the truth. So I'm like, yo, they, they're, they're painting their own type of history. Like, you're not going to talk about the lynching. You're not going to talk about all these things so they can go home and say, mommy, what is a lynching? Mm -mm. Well, they do. They that's I, I, that's what I feel like in um, I feel like happens in the industry a lot. It's censorship. It's censorship. You know, it it centers our experience because what I will say and what I do believe is happening in Hollywood will go where the money goes. Yeah, Hollywood will go where the money goes. So if we continue to tell our stories. And if our stories continue to be popular, because they will be, because they're stories that people have never heard of before, right? Everybody wants to understand and know something new because that's just the human nature. That's just how people are. Oh, I never know this story. I want to know about this, right? I want to do research, especially in this internet culture. We all want to just start typing, figuring out if it's true or not. Then things will change. So as I feel like it's our responsibility as artists and creators to keep pushing for our stories. Yeah. You know, so that um, so that we can, you know, uh, see more stories that we want to see. And I mean, you know, there is still there's room for slave stories. I mean, I I, I am fatigued. I am slave. <laughs> but there's room for it all. It was there's hard for me to watch the new roots. I was like, my P.I. has a couple of folks in it, but I, I probably watched one episode and I was like, I can't do it. Like the first roots was amazing. And I was like, we didn't want, we didn't need to redo it. And then I'm like, to see that over again, it was just hard to watch. It's like, I just. It's fatigue. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of like the world right now. Like you just get tired, you get tired. It is, it is so tired of seeing the mistreatment of black people. And you really want to see us excel. And the thing about it is, this is what I will say about story making when it comes to other cultures. They'll talk about, they'll have a story, right? 
it'll be talking about a dog. The, the whole movie is about a damn dog. <laughs> <laughs> Walking down the street, going to the dog, the whole movie will be about them going to get that damn dog. You know what I mean? But when it comes to our stories, we should be able to tell just as many silly, ridiculous, whatever stories that we want to tell, but we don't have the we don't have the ability to do that. Our mm. stories have to be either biography, a musical, somebody got to sing, mm. or it has to be a comedy, or or it has to be a drama. That is the box. That is the box. Is that easily digestible? But what about abstract films? Can we get a sci-fi? I mean, I love, um, what's his name? Uh, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, because yeah, he's horror, right? He's he's doing the horrors and he's supporting people. The young lady who directed um, Candyman. Okay. Yeah. Which he he supports. You know, he supported her and helped her get her opportunity. And you know, there's just so much room for so many different stories to be told. Yeah. You know, even I can't. If I don't care if it's a walk in the park. Right. <laughs> can we tell a story? A stupid walk in the park story and make forty million dollars. You know what I mean? A dog's life. <laughs> a dog purpose. Right. I like the dog purpose, but I give it. Can we get a dog purpose the black way? Right. Like, yeah. I'm just saying. And, and, that, and that's one thing too is that we we tend to have these labels where you say a black film or black like we probably put these labels on it to where it's like you even with like it was saying with um. Jamie Foxx was saying about Just Mercy when they they had it, you know, in a white audience and a black audience, it actually tested higher in a white in a white audience and it did with the black like by a couple of points, or whatever. But it's just like almost when we start putting these labels, it's like I feel why can't a film just be a film? It doesn't oh you Keanu. Yeah, Keanu, that was <laughs> exactly the cat. Yeah. <laughs> did I make some did I make some money? Did I make... No, it didn't, you know, it didn't do that well, actually. Yeah. It was it was that yeah, great. But that's not the point. Tell <laughs> that, that, that was our dog. That was a cat purpose. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, just tell the story, right? Yeah. But that's I, I think that's kind of like the whole purpose of, you know, being able to be creative is being able to tell whatever story that you want to tell without there being any censorship, right? Right. You know, um, and that's what I want to see more of. So I do want to get into, so a lot of allies, people who are saying, we are with you, we are with you. They want to know how they can help in the fight against racial justice mm-hmm. out here in the world. But specifically, because we're talking about Hollywood, how can people who are asking and who are saying, I am your ally here in Hollywood, how do, what do you think that they can do to help people of color? They can help uh, get people that can actually speak, speak our voice uh, and help our voices being heard. Um, it's one of the things like, how can you help? But you have to be a part of the solution. You have to start put, like you said, like my, you saw Michael B. Jordan, my spoke, talk about getting black executives opportunities in, in, in the white organizations and companies and allowing them to be the forefront of storytelling and how kind of almost like a pinpoint running things by them. Like, what do you, if you're telling a black story, you should definitely get black opinions. You shouldn't tell a black story the way you want to tell it. Like, if I'm just telling a story that only relates to Caucasian individuals i'm gonna get somebody that knows that world and be like hey what do you think about this is this realistic almost the same thing you do with a procedural show you have an advisor so it's kind of like you have to start having people in these positions that one you're helping getting our projects uh funded easier without so much hassle and you're also allowing us to tell the stories that need to be heard and i think that the change starts to happen when people change the mentality 
that we have to be treated equally, that we have to have the same opportunities as our white counterparts, because if we don't, then it's going to continue to be this tension and it's going to necessarily not even be a race thing, but a, more of a prejudice thing. Like I'm going to be prejudiced. Somebody may be prejudiced towards the other race because they're getting more opportunities than the other person. And it's, it, it's like you said, it's, sometimes it's not necessarily, it can be racism, but it can be closeted racism in a sense where if a per, a, uh, the, um, they think they're inferior to another race. And it's just the mentality, that slave mentality, where it's like, you should be happy that you getting an opportunity to be in this movie. You're, you should be happy that I'm giving you $65,000. Where are you going to go and get $65,000 to do a role? Is a job going to be? So it's like, it's like be thankful. I always say it had that mentality. Of, Just shut up and dribble. Don't try to you have know, an opinion. Yeah, but you know, Hattie McDaniel said, you know, she would have rather made her, at the time, $500 a week being a maid on a movie than being paid $50 a day being a maid in someone's home. Right. So that's, that, you know, I, I, that's kind of like what I feel like the mentality that people want us to have in this industry is, you know, the average person is making this money. You know, you should be happy that you're making $65,000 for this one film because the average person don't even make that much for a month right. plus another month, you know, but that's just, it's just, it, it goes back to the industry that you're in. If you're a tech person, you're going to make a completely different salary than someone who's just a teacher, you know what I mean? So then like people cultivate their art so that they can be paid properly, yeah. you know? And it's, it's, a, it's a sickness already in our industry where they don't really pay people the way they should be paid anyway. But man, when I say, not only just not only do the studios not, but also I find that a lot of other black people don't pay black people the way they're supposed to. What well, they want the hookup? They want the you know. Yeah. Just, they want you to just uh, just be happy that you have the opportunity, right? So I just I I think that's a sickness within itself. You know, is 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 that we should be grateful that we're giving we're getting that opportunity. And a lot of black people are just like, you know what? I am grateful. So <laughs> this is a, you know, I'm paying my mom's mortgage or whatever, and I can help out my family and that's good enough for me. And I don't think it's wrong enough. I don't think it's wrong with having that attitude as well. If that's good for you, I always say it's nothing wrong with you being a billionaire or a farmer or a teacher. Like if that's your prerogative and it's good enough for you, then that's your business. You know what I mean? But I think that goes back to like what Melvin was saying earlier about like sometimes you just don't know. You're not even educated enough to know. Like this is, I've seen $65,000. I've never seen this check in my life. Like, okay, cool. And then later on, as you get further along in the game, you realize, oh, I actually could have got a million dollars for doing that project that I got paid $65,000 for. So I also think that like we have to become more educated. We have to become more educated on what our value and our worth really is. Cause sometimes you just don't know. You just like, oh. Yeah. But but I would say, I would say, you know, yeah, it is we need to be educated on our value. But when you're dealing with a lot of people of color, they feel like we're expendable because there is one black person. Yeah. Who's going to say yes? Absolutely. So, and that's what happened to Terrence Howard when he did Marvel, right? right. He was in the first Iron Man, and he they were, they told him they were going to give him more money, and they were like, you know what? The day that he said no, they were like, up oh, get Don Tito immediately because they mm -hmm. knew that there was going to be one person, but they wouldn't have said that to any other person on there 
you know, um, they didn't say that to Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, they supposedly he was the one that kind of you know kind of helped vouch for Robert Downey Jr. Right, for for Iron Man. From what I was what I was reading, say that, it again. Yeah, that, that um, Terrence Howard was the one that kind of vouched for Robert Downey Jr. Because me, of course, yeah, they, yeah. yeah he, vouched, he vouched for Robert Downey Jr. And they were supposed to be friends. And from and this is all alleged, right? Yeah. So. I don't know whether or not it's the truth, but he has spoken out on it and said that they did not want to pay. There's a couple articles on it. They didn't want to pay him more. They promised to pay him more. And then when they came to him, they said, you know, we had to pay so-and-so more. So you're going to get the same thing that you made on your last movie. And he said, no. That same day they got Don Cheeto. John Cheeto said yes. You know, even though I love Don Cheeto on the road, not going to lie. Not going to lie. Right. It's, it's, Don Cheeto. Right. He's doing a fantastic job in that role. But I do, I can, I think that also that that's the and that, and that hurt Terrence Howard. Like, supposedly it was his agent that said, no, like, he didn't know certain things, but he didn't even, like, say no to often. Sometimes I know how agents can work. But, like, that hurt him. He pretty much had to start over from that point. Like, he was, a role yeah. that he was, like, he wasn't getting nothing compared to what he was getting. Like, he had to simply start over. And I think Empire, like, Empire was when he started going back up. Yeah, he had just got an Oscar nomination for, um, Hustle and flow. Hustle and flow. So it's just, you know, it's just one of those things that it's not even just about like knowing your worth. It's it's that double-edged sword that you want to say no, but at the same time, you know that if you if you don't say yes, there's a strong possibility that that's just it, you know. But that's why we always talk about creating your own opportunity because Tyler Perry ain't worrying about that. And not that I mean Tyler Perry in himself, he's his own business. He does a certain type of content. But um, you know, it's just one of those things where you you just think about it like you have to hustle to create your own brand in in order for your no to mean something. Right. Mm -hmm you know, for your no to mean something Absolutely. where other people don't have to do that. They don't have to do that. They just, their agents is like, ah, oh, I'll just get them another job with another studio, ha, 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 you know, whatever. So yeah. Oh, I want to, I want to ask us questions because we're coming to the end of our, um, our live. Uh, so Darkoya asked this question yesterday about protesters. It's so funny. So I'm going to let you ask him this question because you, you were the person out there protesting. Okay. So I went protesting this weekend. It was my birthday weekend, you know. Um, and, on Sunday? Huh? You no, 31. No, I said we out there on Sunday. Oh, no. I was uh, out there on Saturday. Okay. Yeah, um, near Brooklyn Bridge, it was like Grand Army. Okay, okay, I'm gonna forget you in New York. You're New York, not LA. Yeah, no, I'm in New York. Um, and so when when I was protesting, some of these protests were just like a, some of these protest chants were just a hot mess. Like you you repeat and you're like, okay, like no justice, no peace. You know, no justice. Right. No peace. What do we want it right now? And so sometimes people were shouting out chants and then I was shouting out a response and I didn't know what I was saying. So I had to be like, wait, no, I don't really feel that way. <laughs> so um, if you were leading a protest, what would your chant be? Mm. Wow. Um, I, I guess I'll go with this quote. Uh, Without a struggle, there is no progress. Mm. By Frederick Douglass. Hey, Amen. All right. Drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah, I like that. That's awesome. That's I love awesome. It. 
And that's something that I got when I was in high school. Like one of my one of my favorite teachers, uh, Mr. Shabazz, he always would give us quotes in the beginning of the, uh, the day of the class, and we would have to analyze the quote. So that was one that kind of just always stuck with me. He gave us a bunch of against Muhammad Ali ones, but like that was one was always stuck stuck to me because I'm like, that's true. Without the struggle, there, you know, if you don't go through a struggle, how can you progress to, you know, to get to the next level? So we've all been through our trials and tribulations. We've all have become stronger from it, yes. um, learned from it, and so that's been our progress. Oh, man. I love that. Like that quote. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Melvin, for joining us thank today. You thank you. We're going to be back tomorrow, everyone, with um, Jeffrey Riddick. Uh, I thought he was today, but Melvin, you read today. Um, but he's tomorrow at 8 p.m. again, 5 p.m. Um, Pacific time. Um, and he's the creator of Final Destination. So we mm -hmm. hope to see you all. Uh, come back again as we talk about racism in Hollywood and institutions. And that's so. huge because that's a nice, that's a huge franchise. And so I, I think I don't, know, I don't know if I knew that, but I was, I was like, oh, that's that's great, man. So a uh, uh, brother, yeah. behind, like that's a brother. He's a brother. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Thank you, everyone. Thank you again. Thank you, Melvin. Thank you, guys. Y'all be blessed. Hello.